Hey, hey, Boss Street Ballers. We're back with episode 41 for you with AJ Amex. If you are interested in Twitter or have been learning how to use Twitter to promote your product, your service, your event, and you're not quite sure how to make it happen in the right way, then listen to this episode because you're going to learn so much from AJ Amex, an incredible Twitter strategist who gives plenty of examples of how he's incorporated Twitter to grow his following build his email list, promote this event where he hosted 50 different marketing experts in two weeks. Incredible, right? He built his list and he knows Twitter inside out. He has also graciously offered to host a webinar for our ballers. So if you head over to bossresociety.com forward slash show 41, again, that's bossresociety.com forward slash show 41. You're going to get all the details on the webinar. Don't miss this because he is offering more insight on the Twitter strategy that has catapulted his business and has really confirmed his know-how in the space when it comes to Twitter. So don't miss this episode. You're going to learn a lot about marketing, about branding. He gives some great stories and examples. You're going to enjoy this a lot. And again, bossresociety.com forward slash show 41 for the exclusive webinar for our Boss Re Ballers. Do you believe there is more to your career than waiting for the gold watch in 40 years? Did you know that the average American spends 200 hours a year commuting to a job they probably hate? Does it frost your ass to get a 2% raise that barely keeps up with the rate of inflation? Have you ever worked for a boss hole? We know how you feel, and we want to help. Welcome to the Boss Free Society Podcast, your entertaining entrepreneur therapy session with your hosts, Tim Wambach and Patty Dominguez. Couch not included. Hey, Boss Free Ballers, we're here with another episode with an incredible guest who is super high energy already. As a matter of fact, I preface by saying, hey guys, don't talk. We want to get this on the air. It's such, such good stuff that he's doing in his business. So we definitely are excited to bring that to you. But Tim's going to start it off and let us know who we have. Yeah, today we have AJ Amex. Uh, he is a Twitter strategist, a business coach, consultant, designer. He's a former rock star and COO of Game Time Movement. AJ helps leaders and high achievers create a lifestyle and business they love. love. The Boss Free Society welcomes AJ Amex. Yeah. Yo, brother, thanks for having me. And this is the first time somebody's introduced me literally from pulling my Twitter bio. So that that was like awesome. I like that. Just the Twitter bio suffice. We we want to keep Oops. it brief and we want to because we know that you're going to bring some serious value bombs to us today. So I, and I almost went there, AJ, seriously, and going through your background, I'm like, no, I want to hear the story directly. You know, our Bashri Baj want to hear this incredible just trajectory from what I've read of your bio. Why don't we start? Because this is it's been a question I've had in my head. How does a rocker transition into a successful coach? Because that is crazy impressive well like when i was touring i did all of the the business like you know creating great music is a piece of it but if you don't know how to market it you don't know how to promote it you don't know how to get on radio you don't know how to sell merch you don't know how to perform you don't know how to brand yourself which we can get into stories of things i learned from that whole world 
nothing it doesn't matter and that's what made us good i am not i will tell you i'm probably the world's worst guitar player like i am not very good <laughs> but what i am really good about is performing and putting people around me that are a lot better than me and so there was some key moments in our career. I mean, we dude, we wrote and we wrote and we wrote and we were this quote unquote overnight success. Like we went from playing in a garage to literally playing with the biggest bands in the Christian rock and roll industry in nine months, right? Like that could be like a marketing line, how to go from garage to touring on a national known stage in nine months, which we did. But that doesn't take into account for the seven years Prime. that we wrote and we wrote and yep. we played and we played. And so there was, uh, there was several things that led up to that whole nine-month period. Number one, we became really, really good songwriters. And I'm not the world's greatest songwriter, but I do have an ear for what sells. And our guitar, our lead guitar player and our lead vocals at the time was a ridiculously good songwriter. I mean, ridiculously good. But I was able to then package all of that. And we were playing the show at Cornerstone one year. This was in 2008. And we, this is a huge festival. It's 20,000 people at Cornerstone. And so we're sitting there after we got done playing a show one day, and we're sitting there having beans and burgers or something. I don't know what we cooked. We cooked something in the ground. That's all I, that's all I remember in this Dutch oven. Anyway, this guy pulls up in his car, and uh, you know, we're just like, yo, dude, you want to come join us for dinner? We had no clue who the guy was. He's like, sure. And so we got talking to this guy, and his name was Josh Ashton. And at the time, I don't know if he still owns a record company or not, but he owned a company called Fat Lip Records, or he worked at Fat, Fat Lip Records, which is like this indie record, um, I guess, label. And so we went into his car. We played our, our EP for him. We had you know, a little four-song EP we'd put together. We spent about, I don't know, about $5,000 on this, this record. And it was one of the best records that we ever, ever produced at the time. And he listened to it. He's like, man, the music is really, really, really good. And he, then he asked me another question. He said, what do you wear on stage? And I'm like, ah, whatever we want. He's like, dude, go back to Dallas. <clears throat> go spend like $100 or $200 a piece on like uniforms, attire, that you wear every single time you're on stage. Hmm. And so I was like, all right, well, what do we have to lose? Because at this time, I mean, we're pretty much just kind of playing for free, whatever we can make happen. So we went back and I had this idea. I was like, all right, well, everybody's going to wear black skinny pants. Everybody's going to wear black shirts or whatever they want in their own style, except the lead singer. I want him in like a white top with black skinnies. So that's what we did. Now, when we went to like immediately after we went and bought clothes, we all spent like 120 bucks um, a piece. We went to this record label showcase in Nashville, and we walked in, and we were the only band that was kind of looked cohesive. And immediately when we walked in, people were like, oh, my gosh, who are these people? <laughs> like, we had this perceived image instantaneously that we never had before, hmm. right? People never met us, but we had this perceived value already. So then when we took the stage and we delivered and we all had long hair and we like had crazy energy, like we're jumping off drum sets and like just going crazy. <laughs> Then we went back to get our review, and we scored like a 96 out of 100, and they offered us a deal, which we didn't end up taking because we didn't like the contract. Hmm. Then after that, we walked into Cracker Barrel. and immediately it's the greatest that- place to go after a concert. <laughs> I, I got to – that's Absolutely. a plug for Cracker Barrel. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> the root beer is the best there. <laughs> but when we walked in, the hostess and then the waitress immediately asked us for an autograph. They didn't know who we were. They just, again, perceived value. So this taught me a really, really good lesson when it comes transitioning because you ask, well, how did I transition from this whole idea of rock star into this world? Right. Is there's so many lessons because it's just business. And that's why us having a good brand, the clothes that we wear, or being at the top of our game of whatever that game is for us. It, there is no right or wrong. Like You don't need to wear a suit if you're not a suit person. If you're a country western 
vibe or that's your brand, then dress at like the top level that you can to embody your most authentic self and then represent that consistently in everything you do online from the photos you have on your site, from the images and the way you talk and your, your posting, like all of this plays into how people are perceiving you, therefore making you more credible um, if you can then, of course, deliver the goods. Oh, my God. There's so much here. Like, my, like literally my heart. I can see Patty just because you know, this the, is, the smoke coming out of yeah, her ears. This is such a great topic. And there's so much here in what AJ covered. I mean, first and foremost, it's that the branding side of things, AJ, I thought was really powerful in that you're really capturing that the mind share in people's right. minds, like super yeah. solid. The message is clear. They know exactly what you were about or whatever or at least that interpretation and perception like you talked about. I'm curious also with the songwriting that you did, and you talked about the well over 10,000 hours that you put in, in terms of practicing and the, the songwriting, etc. Do you think that that songwriting part laid into good copywriting or good copy for the marketing that you do now? I will tell you, it didn't really, maybe it did. And people ask me because I have a very specific way that I, I kind of write on Facebook. And if you guys see this, I kind of have these rants and I capitalize certain words and People are like, oh, my God, you have a way of writing that hits people at the core. Like you either love what you say or you hate what you say, but you have to pay attention. And that's kind of my goal. So I think maybe a little piece of that is from songwriting. But I can tell you more importantly than the way I write, I'm very, very conscious on the experience that I'm trying to create with each piece of content. Okay, so if it's like a a post on Facebook, I know I want a certain emotion to be evoked an experience from that post, whether am I going to trigger their ego? Do I want them to feel happy? Do I want them to feel sad? Like I'm very conscious of that. When I come on to shows like this, I'm very conscious of the energy that I'm bringing. If we're on video, the facials that I'm making, the movements with my hands, like this is all very conscious. I'm not doing it on purpose now because I've done it so many times. But what I'm getting at is I'm conscious of the experience that we're co-creating. And as a result, the person who's either watching this or listening to this via their ears they're experiencing a certain energy from this show. And so many people create content for the sake of creating content without putting the conscious thought into the experience of the end user. And that's why I think you have certain podcasts that freaking crush and you have other ones that just kind of fall flat because they're just (laughs) creating a podcast for the sake of creating a podcast rather than thinking, whoa, whoa, this is like a piece of, this is an experience. What do I want to create for my end user? What do they want? And see, I learned this in, this was like, you know, this is songwriting, but this was like music 101 for me. People don't come to the shows to listen to music. Like if they wanted to listen to music, they would just listen to the album. They would listen to the CD at home. They come to the show because they want an experience, okay? And if you come to a rock and roll show, you want a certain experience. You want to crowd surf. You kind of want to hop back and forth and maybe do a little mosh pit. depends on the type of music. If you want to go to a country western, you probably just want to drink beer and have two-step and kind of hang out with friends, right? Or sing along. If you go to a hip-hop concert, maybe you want to put the hands up in the air and act like you don't care. <laughs> wave them and, and wave them like you just don't care. Yeah, wave them you just don't care, right? So, like, there's different experiences. And neither one of them, by the way, are right or wrong. They're just different experiences. So I think in this world of online business, those that perform at an elite level are very conscious of the emotions that they're creating with their content. That's brilliant. Absolutely. That's now, awesome. before um, we got you 
right before we started the recording, we started talking about some some crazy uh, project that you were working on where you interviewed 50 elite entrepreneurs in, I believe you said, two weeks. Can you explain a little bit about that process and what the end goal is and how our listeners can uh, benefit from it? Yes. So my business partner and I, and my business partner is Andy Zitzman, and we created this experience called the Movement Marketing Summit. So a friend of mine, Naveed Moazes, he created the world's largest branding summit, and it was in November of 2014. And he did great. I mean, he did like $20,000 in sales, and he built his list by like 2,300 people, all with no ad spent. Hmm. And I was like, bro, like teach me how to do what you just did. And he's like, all right. So then I hired Naveed. And he kind of said, this is what you need to do. And we thought through and, you know, we did this in two weeks, but we didn't pull it off in two weeks. It was literally a three-month process. What everybody saw in that two weeks was three months worth of work. Again, kind of like this whole idea of music, right? Sure. Anyway, and so what we did there is I, again, came up with the, the concept of the emotion and the experience that I wanted to create, which was I want to create something that gives people point A to point B and launching their business and ultimately building their audience. And so then I thought through on paper, what is everything that somebody needs to learn to do that? And so I have a very specific five-step process that I've been teaching for years, and it's the idea of number one, the first step is getting to a place of power, meaning who are you as a person, what problem are you solving in the marketplace, and who are you solving it for? Because all the time, like you can implement the marketing, the mechanics perfectly to a T. But if you're not showing up with confidence and certainty, nobody's going to listen to you. They're not going to opt into your list. They're not going to pay attention to you. So that's why we have to start at this idea of personal power. Even getting into meditation, getting into the way that your, your fitness routine is, like you have to be a confident, certain person um, if you're going to then lead an audience. So that's why we started with the idea of power. Then we moved into the second step, which is then getting clear on your product or your service. Okay. And so then we taught how to do that. Then we moved into the idea of pitching, the idea of sales, like you have to go sell it. So lots of people think you need to just come online and then you can start selling. Well, one of the things I always coach our clients through if they need to get to cash fast is to go offline. Okay, there's like a whole pool of people. People still exist in the offline space. Like we still get dressed and have breakfast and have relationships and families. Like that still happens. Okay. And so we go to networking events to go sell the thing that we put together to then validate the idea to then move in to the third step, or the fourth step, I'm sorry, the idea of your platform, building your online platform to generate leads, and we have a very specific process for that. And then you have the array of different promotional techniques, right? Twitter and Facebook and summits and podcasts and YouTube, like it doesn't matter, there's all those tools. So that was everything that had to happen in order to launch the brand and to build the audience. So once I had all of these topics that would go from A to B to C to D, I then reached out to a lot of my friends like Michael Port and Subi Zimmerman and Vivica Van Rosen and Josh Parkinson at over at Post Planner, and they all talked about the specific strategies to actually get the results. And it wasn't like one of these typical summits where people are just interviewing people based upon their stories and these free flow conversations. They were, but I kept our stories to like five minutes, and the rest was like literally, what are the myths? What are the truths? And then how in the heck do we pull the stuff off, right? 
And so we got very specific. And so that's what we created um, there with the Movement Marketing Summit. That is amazing. 50 interviews in two weeks. In terms of the promotion, how did you get the word out? Because I know that you're a Twitter strategist. Was that your main promotional vehicle? Did you do paid advertising? I mean, how do you pull this off? I know you said you had a consultant come in, but that is a huge undertaking. and, And clearly, it sounds like it was uber successful. Yeah, it was really, it was actually really successful. And we didn't use, we actually didn't spend any paid um, advertising. Um, So what I did is I organized all of the speakers to mail. Okay. So people think that you're going to drive a lot of traffic with social, with organic posting, which just isn't the truth. I mean, email by far is still one of the biggest movers of a needle when it comes to promotion. Like if you find people that have lists and you can get them bought into what you're doing and get them to mail for you, it moves the needle instantly. Like Game more over, than them yeah. just think on on Twitter or Facebook, like get them to mail. And so, you know, the the summit cost during the summit was just $97 and yeah, we did do an affiliate deal with them. They didn't do it for money. I mean, they make 50 bucks every time somebody sells. So the people that we had like there's nothing wrong with $50, but it just doesn't move the needle for them and their company. You know, I mean, it doesn't make a thing. So they had to be involved in the story and bought into something that was bigger than the idea of 50 bucks. And they did. And as a result, I gave them the opportunity to then promote something they had going. And I'd really encourage them to create a lead page for the summit. And as a result, they generated leads. Like I had so many people um, that spoke on our summit, like Christopher John Stubbs, that posted in um, a Facebook message to me. He's like, dude, my phone has blown up and it's buzzing like crazy because I literally had 100 people opt in when my interview went live on your summit. And I was like, awesome, that was great. And so when they all meld, we were able to, of course, reach thousands and thousands of people. And you asked, well, did you use Twitter? I did use Twitter. So one of the things I thought through was, well, as people are watching this pre-recorded content, I wanted to create some type of live experience. And so as a result, I created a hashtag, hashtag MMS15 for Movement Marketing Summit 1.5, because we'll do it again next year. And so when people could ask their questions live, I was in Twitter, Andy was in Twitter, my assistant Robin was in Twitter, and we were communicating with all these people, and everybody was tweeting. And as a result, and I wish I could, I guess I could share my screen, but I don't know where it's at, but I took a screenshot of tweetreach.com, and within a four-hour window, I had like 268,000 impressions on Twitter just oh on God. the hashtag MMS15 because people were tweeting, but more importantly, there's conversations. So if you right. have more engagement on Twitter, you're going to have more reach. You're going to have of more course. impressions. And so it was a great, great piece from a branding standpoint. Now, did that, again, did that mean we got opt-ins from Twitter? Yeah, a little bit. Did it move the needle? Hell no, it didn't move the needle. What moved the needle is getting people to mail, right? So that's how we organized kind of the whole promotional efforts and that was an undertaking in itself because you're having to rally the speakers, communicate with the speakers. Ju- that's one ball you're juggling right. and writing for. And then you have the other one where you're keeping the attendees, the leads, in and getting them the content and troubleshooting all that. That's like another ball that you had to juggle. So there's lots of moving pieces um, to actually think through as far as all the back-end infrastructure to actually pull it off and make it successful. Well, I think what's most impressive is the fact that you said that you were able to promote this entire event and didn't do any paid advertising. I just think that it just sounds so counterintuitive to everything that you see out there right now where everyone's talking about pay-per-click, pay-per-click, you know, retargeting and all this other stuff. So the fact that you did that, kudos to you guys, and where you really leveraged and depended on the engagement because the engagement is the 
you know, word of mouth at the end of the day is the most powerful tool. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. And there's just kind of this, you know, there's nothing wrong with paid advertising, right? And by far, I think paid advertising is a must. And yeah. you know, I released this in a blog post coming up. But it's like this idea, like if you're going to play at an elite level, and you have to run paid advertising. It's the only way to scale. Right. Because if you rely strictly on organic, it's just totally sporadic. Like you're, you're trying to get people to share and you're creating content. And what if they don't share it? Then you don't get your reach. So there's, you have to learn how to integrate both approaches, like paid so you can scale but organic because this, you know, some things work every now and then. So it just kind of depends on where you're at in your business. If you're one of these people who have more time than you have money, a virtual summit is a great thing to do. Again, if you can think through the experience that you're creating and if you can solve a specific problem with the summit. Don't do a summit for the sake of doing a summit. Don't do a podcast for the sake of doing a podcast. Get ridiculously specific uh, and get clear on your goals. But if you have more money than you have time, then go all in on paid advertising and start scaling things fast. So right. can you talk about, um, say, the small entrepreneur that wants to do something like a summit and the fact that you said, wow, it takes three months to, to put together something at the scale that you're talking about, you know, 50 elite entrepreneurs. Obviously, not everyone has access to that level. But how could a small entrepreneur start that in a smaller scale? Just kind of like ease into the idea. And how, how do you envision the structure of that being so somebody can do that for themselves? Yeah, so the, the first thing you know, that people de- need to do is get clear on, again, what problem are they going to solve with their summit? So one of the mistakes that we made with ours is that we were a little bit too broad. Like it, was still, it still did well. We still, still did about 15000 a little over $15,000 in sales in two weeks, which is good. But it wasn't, it could have done better if we were more specific. Like if I just, I think if I just did like something on Twitter, like how to use Twitter to build an audience and monetize Twitter like more people would pay attention because like, oh, I want to know that specific skill set. So what I would highly encourage people is get ridiculously clear on the problem that you're going to solve with your summit. Okay, that would be step number one. Step number two, once you know the problem, is who are the, who are the, the who's the target market? Like you need to figure out who that target market is. Who is the summit for? Who is the summit not for? And then come into naming the summit, right? And name it something that makes sense. When people will hear it, they're like, oh, yes, I get, that's what I get to learn from that summit. So once you have that, then you move into the fourth step here, which is just create your landing page. Like even if you don't have any speakers, just go ahead and create it. Have your logos, have everything there. Um, that way when you start reaching out to speakers – that they see that you're serious. This isn't an idea. This is something that you're you're gonna do. Not you're not gonna. I mean, you're going to do. Like you're doing. Like you have the landing page. You have the dates picked. You have everything. I have people that reach out to me to speak on summits. And one of my hugest, biggest pet peeves is when they say, "Hey, what do you want to talk about on my summit?" I'm like, okay, I don't know. "Why don't you tell me? It's not my job to figure shit out. Like, tell me how I can help you. Right? right? I want to help you, but I don't have the time to think through how to help you. Right? So." Don't reach out to people and say, hey, will you speak on my summit? What do you want to speak about? Just tell me. So that was one of the things when I reach out my to the speakers. And by the way, lots of the people that um, <laughs> that are on the summit, I did not know before the summit. Okay, Wow. Like, like Josh and Vivica, um, Michael Port. Like there was lots of people that I mean, we knew of them, but we sure. didn't know them. Right. And now they're good friends because we've interviewed them. We've you know, promoted their stuff and we went to dinner. We like, you know, we had Skype conversations. Like we're able to really use it as a networking experience. But I, when I reach out to people, I had a landing page. So this would be the fifth step, start reaching out to people. But I got really clear and I would reach out to Josh and be like, Josh, 
I'm doing this thing. I think you, I think you'd be a good fit. We're expecting, you know, 5,000 people in attendance. I would like for you to talk about um, how you can use Facebook to dominate with content marketing and can we promote Post Planner? And he's like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> like, this is that. And all I did was reach out to him via Facebook message. Awesome. Maybe I did email. I think it was email. But I did reach out to a lot of people um, just via Facebook message as well. Um, Peter Vogt. I didn't know Peter Vogt. Never even knew he exists. Love the guy now. Um, Andy listened to him on a podcast and was reading his blog and just loved the guy and loved his content, loved his book. And so Andy's like, dude, what can we do? I'm like, um, I don't know. Let's send him a tweet. <laughs> so he sent Peter a tweet. We're like, at Peter Vogt. Um, we're having this summit. We think you would be a good fit. We'd like for you to talk about this and you could have the opportunity to promote this. You down? Like, it was real simple. Like, it was just like, <laughs> down? And he's like, yeah, dude, let's, uh, let's talk via email and see if it's a good fit. So then we went to email and then I was like, cool, man, really appreciate you. Here's what we have going on. Here's who we have speaking. And I leveraged some of the, the names that we're speaking on at that point because this was kind of towards the end of the summit. And it's kind of funny because if you have these, these bigger names being a part of it, other people yeah. who are big names want to be a part of it. They're Absolutely. like, oh, my God. And that was one of the things Peter said. We're on, the, we're on Skype talking one day. And he's like, dude, all right, this sounds good. I'm down. What are you paying these people? And I was like, Peter, I'm not paying them anything. Like, they're doing it because they like what we're doing and they want to be a part of it. Are you down? And he's like, come in. <laughs> right? Awesome. So you have to be really, again, confident and clear on what experience you're creating and then just be able to ask people. And if you ask people, they'll be like, yeah. And did we get a few no's? Yeah, I think we only had like three or four people who told us no that we reached out to. But that didn't stop us from continuing to reach out to people. So that's pretty much the steps that you have to think through is just, you know, if we kind of recap here because it kind of covered a lot of stuff, which is um, what is the problem you're solving? Who are you solving it for, right? Getting clear on the name, build the landing page, reach out to people. I mean, and then, of course, there's more to it. Like you have to build your speaker pages and you have to yeah. build all infrastructure. Ours is like 88 pages deep. But if you don't have that many speakers, then it's not as there's, much right. um, work. But that's pretty much kind of the five steps. So just to kind of start getting started here if you wanted to pull something off on a small scale. It's gold. Yeah, that, <laughs> you are dropping the value bombs, no doubt. Um, here's a question that we like yeah. to ask. Uh, what was What's the ballsiest move you've ever made as an entrepreneur? Man, that one's... Um, a tough one. I tell you, okay, I'll tell you this one. You're like, I'm ballsy every day. <laughs> <laughs> then this one was a ballsy move that didn't work. So when I, when I first kind of got started in this whole space and I was transitioning from rock and roll and I learned about Brendan Burchard and I was going through like one of his launches for Experts Academy at the time. And I'm like a big proponent of kind of just paying attention to what people are doing. Like I don't sometimes I don't buy into the hype, but I'm like, man, what are they doing here? So I would look at Brendan's opt-in page and I would screen capture it. And I'm like, all right, he has a headline, he has a subline, he's telling people what they're gonna learn. What's this email enter your name thing? Like, I didn't know what that was. And so I did it, and then when I hit enter, I watched in my little navigation bar and my search bar, like it forwarded me to like something that said Aweber. I'm like, what is Aweber? So then I pulled up another browser and I Google Aweber and I'm like, oh, that's what he's using for the opt-in box to the, the oh, all right, cool. And then so then I watched like one of the, the I don't remember, it was like powered by optimized press on the landing page or something like that. I'm like, oh, they're using optimized press for the land. All right, cool, cool. So I just kind of started gathering all these little technological tools and then I would save and copy and paste all of his emails. And I'd be like, oh, how long are their subject lines? What is the psychology he's using here? Like, where is he taking them? And I reverse engineered kind of the campaign. 
Well, at that time, I'm like, oh my gosh, the music industry would, they would totally love this. And I wish I would have known this when I was in the music industry because then I could have captured the room. Then I could have campaigned them to buy the record or the t shirts. Like, this is, this is genius. So I put together this idea of smart artists finish rich. And I flew out to Burbank because a friend of mine lived in Los Angeles there in Burbank. And I said, I'm just going to like cold call the record companies and sell them on this program. Their artists need to be part of this program. And so I called, I literally went to Burbank, spent like two weeks there, no, three weeks there, cold called record companies, and nobody would take me up on my offer. And I'm like, well, why not? And because the, the same thing kept coming up, which was, well, this sounds great, AJ. Have you done this before? And I'm like, no, but other people are doing it and it's working, right? <laughs> and so it was a good lesson. That was a ballsy move for me that completely failed and I had to come home and, and go back doing construction work for a little bit to get back on my feet and then start something again. But that was kind of a, a ballsy move. Um, another ballsy move that I did that did work out was in 2010. It was after I kind of regrouped from that whole thing. And I'd still been learning and modeling. And I just thought to myself, if I just had like a blueprint or if I had a business in a box, like that would change my life. And lo and behold, Brendan was promoting Mike Koenigs at the time, 2010 or 11, on his launch, the social media marketing machines. And it was pretty much a business in a box to become a social media manager. And so at that time, I was living in a small town in East Texas. We still have a home there. It's about 60 miles from where I live now here in Farmer's Branch. And I was like, well, nobody here in this town is using social. Like nobody. Like I don't know a single soul. So if I learn this information and then go and join like the chamber or like b and I, I bet I could, you know, kind of create a company here. And so the product was $3,000. And I didn't have $3,000 in 2010. But they did allow somebody to finance it for like six months for 500 bucks a month or something, and you get all the content. So I told myself, I'm going to finance this thing. I have 500 bucks, and I will either make the money every single month to pay for this thing, or I'd rather just shoot myself and die. Like, there's no point of me being here if I can't pull this off. And I pulled it off. I joined the chamber, got my first $2,500 client, um, and just really networked and used offline networking to completely grow my social media marketing business, which was ultimately kind of my first step into really mastering this realm and started getting case studies and results. And then it's just kind of been a leveling up process. But that was a ballsy move to kind of commit to spending $3,000 when you don't have it and forcing yourself to figure it out. Exactly. That's brilliant. So I'm going to segue a little bit into you being a Twitter strategist now and the way that you've been able to grow your list. You, You also have a product that's launching. We want to know more about that and why you believe Twitter is a great approach in general to focus on. Yeah, so Twitter's all about relationships. It's um, probably one of the only platforms that I can think of where like, the more engaged you can be with the community, the more reach you're going to have, the more impressions you're going to have, and ultimately the, the faster you're going to build your network and build your list, which is a, a thrill for me. So one of the things that happened for me, this was in 2013, before I got into paid advertising, which I still don't do a whole lot of today, and I need to do more and more and more of But I asked myself the question because I didn't really have the budget for paid advertising. And I didn't have the budget to hire somebody to run the paid advertising for me like we kind of do now. And so I said, all right, well, what tool do I have to reach my people now was the question I asked myself. And immediately the answer that popped up was Twitter. I'm like, all right, mind. Twitter sounds good. Well, what can I do on Twitter to reach my people now? That was another question I asked. And they, in my mind, I guess, the, the inspiration popped up to go, well, why don't you go see who's following people that are similar to you and follow them? I'm like, what a genius concept. So I went into Brendan Burchard's audience. He had a big following. 
And I said, I'm going to set a timer on my phone for 15 minutes. And every day, I'm just going to go follow as many people as I can that have a profile picture and a bio because I assumed if they did that, then they would be kind of an active user. And lo and behold, when I started doing that, I got a lot more followers. And more importantly, they started opting into my list. And as I started engaging these people in conversations, I get them on Skype and I got a client like within the first seven days and they're paying $1,000 a month. And I'm like, oh, this is a good deal, right? (laughs) And so as I continue just kind of playing with this, it's kind of what's led me to teaching what I call the follow game now, which is a great way for building a very targeted following if you're willing to do the work. It's it's something that's kind of like a workout routine. I always say this all the time. Like if you want a shredded body, you have to go to the gym consistently. You can't just go in one day and be like, oh, I'm going to run today and I'm going to lift two weeks from now. Like you, you can't. Like you, you have to create a structure and you just commit to doing the work. And it doesn't mean that P90X is better than uh, Insanity or any of the other ones. They all work. It's just committing to do them. Like that's, that's the only thing. So my follow game is very, very similar. But then engaging the people and having conversations and asking direct questions just like we would in an offline networking event is like golden for me because one, it's market research. Two, I build the relationships. And by me asking these questions, I'm strategically asking qualifying questions to see, is it a client? Is it not a client? Um, Should I point them to my website? Should I point them to a specific piece of content? Should I point them to a Skype session? But it all comes back to me being very intentional um, in my engagement with my audience. So in your product itself, what kind of high level, what is it that your product includes? That, that would help that person. Yeah, so it's called Tweet Like a Champion. And the whole goal of the course is to be able to get people to set up their Twitter profile correctly, to build their audience, to engage with that audience, to use tools to, of course, build the audience, literally from ground zero. Um, if you're already on Twitter, then you, know, you can learn how to tweet better, get more favorites, more retweets, um, teaching you, again, how to use stuff like Social Bro to automate a lot of the conversation starters, I've experimented with a lot of stuff, and so I've created some rules. And I know there's lots of people like, oh, you shouldn't automate on Twitter. And I would agree, for the most part. Um, if you like send me a direct auto message uh, or direct message like most people do, I hate that stuff. Yeah, I hate it. With annoying. The yeah, they're super annoying. Um, I don't know why people do that. It worked in 2010. That was five years ago, guys. Wake up. And so don't do that. But I do automate a little bit of my my tweets when people follow me and stuff like that. Um, But I'm still very intentional because I try to automate like real conversations, real engagements. And I don't do it just for the sake of doing it. I do it because I genuinely want to get into conversations with people and talk to people. And ultimately, I've taught that system to my assistant, Robin Looney. And her and I tackled Twitter together because I just don't have the bandwidth at this point to continue running it the way that I did when I first started using the system. But that's what got me to here, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So who would you say your client, your perfect client is for this uh, tweet like a champion? So it would be um, small business owners. It could be business executives and marketing professionals. And I never even thought about marketing professionals until I was at Social Me Marketing World this year. And I was there talking, and I had my sign, Twitter Champ, and I was carrying it around. That um, My good friend Sue Zimmerman had, had given us, and I were carrying around, and people were talking about it. And I went to all the Twitter talks, and the questions that these people were asking were just like so elementary. And it was really interesting. And I'm so used to, to speaking and dealing with kind of the entrepreneurial market. Like I'm so removed from corporate at this point right. and I've never had a corporate job or anything that all of these ad professionals were there. And like it opened up my mind to the opportunity. I'm like, holy shit, like 
the ad agencies would buy this for their employees so they could then implement this with their company. I mean, you know, sure. with their clients. And so that was that's why I've kind of said, well, it's for marketing professionals too, because you know, I didn't like I didn't understand like there were people there that work for ad agencies and this I'm not putting them down, but this was just interesting to me. They're like, how do I reach people? And the answer is like, well, your local business, so go into the advanced Twitter search and just search your keyword with your zip code and boom, you're gonna find people tweeting about your product or your service now. And they're like, oh, I've never thought about that. I didn't even know that exists. And I'm like, you don't know that. That's a little <laughs> search bar. Like it's it's there. Like go in there, type it in, pull in the advanced search, your zip code. If you're a pizza guy or if you own a pizza company, just type in, I want a pepperoni pizza or I'm hungry for pizza or pizza and zip code. And then bam, people are going to be tweeting. And then you could engage again in those conversations and be like, hey, why don't you come in? I'll give it's a free free pizza on us, right? That's a just attracting a new customer because if you do a great job, follow up with them, more than likely you're probably going to come back and get new pizza or maybe you give them a discounter. Give them something to get them in the door to ultimately earn their trust and build a rapport so you can continue um, getting more and more clients. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's smart marketing. And I'll tell you, I mean, a lot of times we have this this vision that that corporate people that, that they know so much or whatever in the marketing side of things and or ad agencies etc and I, I do some consulting on, on the corporate level and the interesting thing is is that our entrepreneur community I mean it could be a scrappy guy working out of his basement would absolutely crush it in any of these agency environments and these guys at the agency level they just are behind you know a couple of years in general and I think we're just so much more at the forefront of things that are changing everyone seems to be so nimble whereas in a big organization as to be predicted it just takes a long time for people to adopt an idea or a concept so yeah systems and structures in place that they have to kind of go through and you have like the like you said the garage entrepreneur the basement entrepreneur is just like give me a wi-fi connection a computer and i'll go conquer the world yeah and i'm gonna tear it up (laughs) exactly 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 okay so that's super exciting and tweet like a champion sounds like it is going to be value-added for many many people in many communities so kudos to you we're looking forward to that and um we'll have all that information in the show notes so transitioning out now with the amazing aj aj what um is the best piece of advice you ever got i mean you're such a high performer and you've been exposed to very high level entrepreneurs etc out of all these interactions what do you think is the best piece of advice you've received yeah the best piece of advice um, probably came from my dad and one of the things he said because he's a business owner himself is that the key to success is low overhead and this has served me for my my entire life and you know i'm 30 um we're, my my girlfriend and I, we literally paid off all debt. That was our goal for the year. The only thing that we still have is our house, which will be paid off in like October or November. Wow. Um, and then a couple student loans, which I, they're so low, like it would it doesn't make any sense as far as ROI for me to pay them off because I could take the money that I'd pay for the student loan and I could go buy two rental properties, if that makes right. any sense. Absolutely. Sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Right. So, but it's, that has served us because us having such a low overhead and then being able to make good money, we have a lot of options. Like we're not tied to, we don't have to do anything, you know, like we were able to go on cruises. We're able to go to Romania here in, in September to see Sarah's family. But that has been a conscious choice of mine since I was 22 years old. And I had a goal when I left university and graduated that I would have my debt paid off by the time I was 30. And so that has served me. That's been like the biggest piece of advice. So my advice to all those people is keep your overhead as low as possible. That doesn't mean that you need to be a cheap bastard. But it does, <laughs> it does, it does mean just try to make conscious decisions where – 
you know, do you have to drive the Porsche? I'm not, it doesn't mean you don't have to drive the Porsche or that it's bad to drive the Porsche. But what I'm getting at is, do you have to? Like, what is the deeper reason? And if you can truly afford it, then, of course, do it. But don't don't place all of these heavy burdens around where your 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 nut essentially is ten thousand dollars a month, and you have to bring in ten thousand dollars a month, or you're trapped. And lots of people get caught into this whole American dream. And then, again, don't hear me wrong. This is not a bad thing. I'm just telling you that it's very freeing to be able to have um, really no obligations to right. be able to actually live a little bit more intentfully. Um, it's just a very freeing place. I, I can't yeah. really explain it very well. It's amazing. Now, is there anything that we haven't covered that you know our listeners need to hear from you? Um, man, the best thing on just I want to give some advice on Twitter just to kind of help people get higher click-through rates. Um, number one, have a personal profile picture with your happy, authentic, smiling face. Like, do that. Second thing is have a, a power, what I call a power bio. Use three to four words that describe you as a human and also your role in business. You know, when you, when you guys introduced me, you guys read those three, those four words. That was uh, essentially me as a human being and me in business. And then have what I call the power statement within that bio, which is you help who on what, or you help who do what, or train or teach what. So you're, that's what would be the next piece. And then the, the third or fourth piece, I don't know what number I'm on here. <laughs> I'm pretty good at, not good at math here. I'm creative. What can I say? Is go out, follow your target market. Because as you're actively going to them, rather, rather than sitting and waiting for them to come to you, as you're going to them, they're going to be like, man, who is this person that followed me? They're going to click on your profile. You have a great picture. They're going to be like, hmm, I'm going to read the bio. They read the bio, and you're like, hey, I help you because that's your target market you connected with. Get X. So like, oh, that's interesting. They click on the site. That's a click-through. That's traffic to the site. Right. And then if your opt-in offer is congruent with what you said, bam, you're going to build your list. If your opt-in offer is not congruent, well, then change it, right? Or take them to a landing page or something. Like You have to be strategic because social is all about driving traffic. It's not about just engaging and talking to people. It's about getting people onto your platform to build your list to ultimately convert them into a sale. And so just think through how you can do that process. So that'd be my like last little Yeah, guess, that's it. That's it, Tim. He preempted your sage yeah, advice. Yes, that, that was fabulous. <laughs> okay, so but I do have one more. One more question for AJ. Twenty fifteen, what are your plans by the end of the year? What do you want to look back on in terms the, of accomplishments? The, yeah, that's a good question. Um, one of the things is I want to pay off the house. It's a personal personal goal. I wanted to travel to Europe, so we already bought our tickets. We leave on uh, September 3rd. We'll be gone through the 20th. Um, on a business level, I want to roll out Tweet Like a Champion. Um, I want to do more speaking engagements, and I want to run a live event here um, in Dallas in August. So if I could accomplish those few things... Um, 2015 would be a really great year. You're well on your way, seriously. I think so. <laughs> I'm like, I'm checking off the boxes. I'm like, no, he's got that covered. I, I, we continue to just be super impressed. And at the end of this year, we're going to look back and be like, see, he crushed it on all avenues. So we hope to have you back because as, as things progress for you, you are a doer, a mover and a shaker. So we definitely would love to have you back on the Boss Reason. Awesome. Society. Thank you, Patty. Yeah. It's been yeah, thank you so much. Hey, guys, we're going to go ahead and put all of AJ's good stuff, links uh, to his product, where you can find AJ, as well as that amazing summit and more information on that in the show notes. So make sure to check that out. And AJ, thank you so much for your time, for being a boss-free baller. We salute you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I wasn't a boss hole. So that's good. <laughs> you're, you're, you're definitely not a boss hole. <laughs> thanks, thanks, all right, guys, AJ. check you. Thank you for listening to the Boss Free Society Podcast. If you want more, 
Connect with us on Facebook at Boss Free Society fan page, Twitter at Boss Free Society, or join our group of other boss-free-minded peeps at the Boss Free Dojo on Facebook. <laughs>